All right. I don't usually come up with a sermon title, but today this sort of came to me easily. So it's uh, what I'm going to talk about today is Moses, Jesus, and their mountains. At least that's what I'm going to start talking about today. So with Moses and Jesus and their different mountains, we'll be looking at the uh, parallels that there are between Moses and the giving of the law at Mount Sinai and uh, Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, because there's lots of, lots of parallels between those two. So the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and it starts out with the Beatitudes, and it continues with a lot of different, just this variety of teaching about um, how to live in the kingdom of God. So the book of Matthew, out of all of the different Gospels, Matthew has the most references to the Old Testament. There are about 60 of them. And as I was reading about this, um, you could, you could uh, summarize the whole Gospel of Matthew in one word, and it's fulfillment, which makes a lot of sense when you have all these different connections with the Old Testament and what he's writing and the uh, narration he's doing of the things that happened during Jesus' life and ministry. Um, that was all about fulfillment. That's a lot of what he talks about. And he develops all of these connections between the things that happened in the Old Testament and the way that Jesus is the fulfillment for those. And one of those things he looks at a lot is the connection between Moses and Jesus. We've also, I've talked about that a lot up here. Um, right here in Deuteronomy 18.15, this is Moses talking. He said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. We've talked about this a lot of times. Um, Moses himself says that. And then in Acts, the book of Acts, Peter references this verse here. And he applies it directly to Jesus and to remind the people that the Messiah has come. So Moses pointed to Jesus. He was a foreshadower, a forerunner of Jesus, Messiah, the one to come. Jesus is the greater. He's the one who fulfills. Um, he's the one who's able to do what Moses and all of the other ones that were types and shadows in the Old Testament, he's able to do what they couldn't do. Like here in Hebrews 3.3 3 states, For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. There's so many rich parallels between Moses and Jesus. Um, you could sit down and think about it and look at their stories. It's amazing. Just think about the, their birth. Both of them were born to be deliverers. They were born to deliver their people. And Pharaoh tried to kill that deliverer by killing all of those uh, Hebrew male babies. And Herod tried to kill Jesus by having the boys two and under and Bethlehem killed. Uh, people were always coming after them. And that's just one of the many, many parallels that there are. So as we start the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, it starts here with this verse. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. So I've underlined this little section here. He went up on the mountain because it's important. Uh, when you look at what are the Greek words uh, for this little section of verse right here, they match the translation of the uh, Greek in the Old Testament, the Septuagint. They're the same words that are used to describe three times Moses ascending the mountain, Mount Sinai, to get the Ten Commandments from God. 
And in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, it's just those three times that this same rendering is used. And it all is tied into Moses going up the mountain. So not every little thing that's the same, because I know I talk about that a lot. Like, look at these two words. They're the same. My brain works with words. So not every time does it mean that there's a connection and these two things are related and you should extract all this information from that. But there's different tests to tell. So this phrase specifically is just used those three times, and those three times are all in that story. That's a good indicator that maybe the author is bringing in a tie-in here. And you can upload, okay, so I'm going to read the Sermon on the Mount with Moses in mind, with Mount Sinai in mind, with the commandments in mind. I'm going to read this with all the teaching of Moses in mind. And it's going to enrich your interpretation and what you take away from the Beatitudes and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So let's take a look at some of that. And remember, too, when Jesus comes, developing those connections, when Jesus comes, he's announcing to all of the world, all of humanity, he's announcing an exodus, right? And that has so many parallels with the exodus and Moses. But what Jesus is announcing is he's announcing the exodus from spiritual slavery to sonship and freedom. He's announcing this exodus from captivity into God's kingdom, Um, for all of those people who are going to put their faith in him. So just as Moses taught and announced to Israel, these are the ways that you have to live in the covenant with God. Jesus is going to teach us here, these are the ways to live in the kingdom. These are the blessings of the kingdom. This could even just be titled kingdom living, the blessings of the kingdom. Keep in mind the things that Jesus says, though, There's a big difference because remember, he's the fulfillment. The things that Jesus says in the Beatitudes are said with the knowledge that Holy Spirit is coming to make those that believe a new creation. He's going to come and totally transform those people that put their faith in Jesus. They're going to be new from the inside out. No longer striving to try to fulfill their own righteousness or obey under their own power, but people that are actually transformed and that are being sanctified to take on the likeness of Jesus. People that are truly free from captivity with a citizenship in the kingdom of God and their mistakes past and present completely covered by the blood of the perfect sacrifice, Jesus. What, that's a fulfillment. <laughs> that, that's amazing. So we'll start here. I just listed all of the ones I'm going to do today. Just here in one slide. I only have three slides today. It's like, that never happens. (laughs) I usually have like 13. Um, So they're all listed here that we're going to go over today. Start here with number one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Such a short little statement. There are so many things packed into this. All right, what do you think of when you think of poor in spirit? Who knows? It's probably different for... Lots of different people. All sorts of things come to mind. But there's an important Old Testament connection here. The next, the first three Beatitudes that we're going to look at are all connected to Isaiah 61. Now, you're probably thinking, but Brie, I thought that this was all connected to Moses and Mount Sinai. And it is. It is. It just turns out that there are more Easter eggs buried in the New Testament than there are in any Marvel movie, all of them put together. It's uh, just an awesome thing is to continually be looking for. There are so many connections. It's almost like God knows the way our brains work 
and how we like to discover things. And it's just such a wonderful treasure hunt. So lots of connections. We're going to look at Isaiah 61 for the next few. If you look there for the context of who are the poor in spirit and what does that mean, this is what you're going to find. Isaiah 61 says that when Messiah comes, he's going to bring good tidings to the poor. Who are the poor in that situation? Those are the people who are exiled. They're poor in spirit. They're in exile. They're broken. They're separated from their home, and they're in captivity. That's the spiritual condition of all of humanity. They're separated from their father. They have no home. They're lost in the world. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. The good tidings are that Jesus has come to heal the broken, to free those captives, and to provide an eternal home and a restoration of the relationship with the Father that we were meant to have when he created us. That's the good tidings that Jesus is bringing. So the poor in spirit is pictured here in this first beatitude are those with the recognition that when it comes to our own ability to be right with God, to be restored to a relationship with him, we have nothing. We are poor in spirit. We're completely bankrupt. And we have to just receive the good news that that comes through Jesus. To be poor in spirit is to acknowledge your dependence on God and him alone for your salvation. And to know that you're completely incapable of supplying your own righteousness. There's nothing you can do to attain that. There's no tower high enough to build that you can restore your own relationship with God. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. We rely on him. Now, when we're saved, what did I say? I said that we're made new. We're a new creation, right? So I don't think it's right to walk around and deride yourselves all the time as filthy sinners. (laughs) But also, you have to realize that there's a fulfillment for this. And we're still waiting on that. And people still struggle. They still have a hard time. They still struggle with their flesh. Um, We haven't yet been perfected. We're still waiting for that fulfillment. And any of us are capable of stumbling and falling at any time. Nobody is immune from that. So we need him every day. He's saved us. He's set us free. He's made us new. Still, every second, every minute, you need him all the time. We have to recognize that. That is being poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who completely depend on God. They're humbled and they're contrite. They know where everything comes from. What good they have is all from him. Those are the poor in spirit. And they're going to... Uh, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Let's move on to, oh, before I move on, another connection to the giving of the law. It's not an exact parallel. There's not 10 Beatitudes. I was disappointed. <laughs> but there's not 10 Beatitudes. But I want to point out an important parallel between the first commandment and this first Beatitude here. Think about commandment one. Do not have other gods besides me. In order to honor that and to obey that, you have to be poor in spirit. There has to be a recognition and an acknowledgement that there is only one way, that there is only one answer, there is only one God, and that is Yahweh, and that is it. The answers do not lie inside of you. You know, that's the first sin, 
is, oh, the answers lie in me. I can rely on my own wisdom to attain all of these things. That's not the case. So both the first beatitude and the first commandment, they build a, they lay a really important foundation. Without them, you can't have anything else. So this first one here, being poor in spirit, is going to open us up to the rest of them. Beatitude number two. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We're going to go to Isaiah 61 again. Who are the people that are mourning, and what are they mourning? That's going to give us some important information. If you start in verse 2 of Isaiah 61, it says, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. So the Lord is the ultimate source of comfort for us, no matter what we're mourning, all the time. I work at a funeral home now, and I've just recently started actually officiating the funerals, and the Lord comforts those who mourn, no matter what they're mourning. But here specifically, these people that were mourning in Isaiah 61, they were mourning their exiled condition, that condition that was brought on by their own sin, that separation from their father, that was brought on by their own choice to choose good for themselves. They were without a home, and they had distanced themselves from God by those decisions, and it broke their hearts. Their hearts were broken, and they mourned for it. Their hearts were broken to realize how corrupt and fallen their world and their condition was. I mean, have you ever been heartsick over your own mistakes of sin? Like over your own things that you've fallen into. I mean, has that ever broken your heart? Have you mourned for that? Have you ever mourned or been grieved for the sin that goes on around you that you see that maybe affects you and affects those that you love? I think we've all experienced that kind of mourning. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. What a blessing to know that for those who mourn that broken condition, you'll be comforted. You'll be comforted now because Jesus' kingdom has been inaugurated. But there's going to be this great coming fulfillment of comfort where all the tears are going to be wiped away and all you're going to know is eternity with Jesus. And focusing on that, what a great comfort that that is for us. Those that mourn will be comforted. Number three, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Again, Isaiah 61 reads like this. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. All right, again, back to the Septuagint. The Greek translation of this verse matches what Jesus says. It says, they will inherit the earth. That part that says they will possess... Um, a double portion in the land, is they will inherit the earth. Israel inheriting the promised land, that foreshadows those with believing loyalty to Christ, ruling over a newly created earth with him in eternity. And just think about the things that people lay down to follow Jesus, the things that we surrender as we die to ourselves, just like he did. And how sometimes that brings humiliation 
It doesn't really feel like it brings um, joy or gladness sometimes, but just like Isaiah 61 says, instead of humiliation, they'll shout for joy over their portion. You know, when we see that full fulfillment with our own eyes, what a great source of joy that will be. And this is for the humble, for those that humble themselves. Let me ask you a question. This is a pop quiz. What is the way up in the kingdom of God? Down. That's right. (laughs) The way up is down in God's upside-down kingdom. Those that humble themselves are going to be exalted. Jesus is exalted. Why is he exalted? Because he took the role of a servant, and he died for people that didn't even receive him. So for those that follow his example, they will inherit the earth in eternity. So all of those first three Beatitudes, those are all connecting to Isaiah 61, which is a messianic prophecy. It's all about the exaltation of the suffering servant and what it's going to look like when he comes and does the things that he does. So not only is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount teaching people, like these are the principles of living in the kingdom with me. These are the blessings. These are the things that that my people do. Also, you have all those Easter eggs hidden inside of this. It's just him the whole time saying, it's me. You've been waiting for me. I'm the one to come, and here I am. I'm talking to you right now in the flesh. Um, He accomplishes so many things with so few words. (laughs) So looking here at the last one that we're going to look at for today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That seems That's pretty straightforward. Think about what it feels like to hunger and thirst for something. That's such a base experience for us as human beings. I mean, that's connected to our survival. The hunger and thirst is connected to our ability to physically live. So this indicates a survival-level desire for something, for that thing. When, um, when it says here that they will be filled... Those words are in a voice and a tense that indicates being filled isn't something that we do for ourselves. It's a divine thing. The filling is done by God. The righteousness is imparted by him. It's from him. And it's indicated in the tense and voice of these words. Think about how in his ministry, Jesus, he battled so many times. He faced So many situations with the Pharisees. And they had twisted the need for righteousness into this legalistic theology. And they had complicated this and they had saddled these the people that they were supposed to be leading and shepherding. They had saddled them with these burdens that they couldn't possibly carry. And in the process of this, they had also made themselves hypocrites. Because they had set these standards that not even they could attain to. They had completely lost the connection with the Father and his compassion and his love for all of humanity. They had lost sight of that purpose. And I thought this was a good quote that really sums this up. Um, It's from an author and historian uh, named Paul Mayer. Instead of listening to what God had really said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Instead of listening to that, 
They were following the rules by which they interpreted this law of God to suit their own convenience. So they had created this law based on their interpretation of that, and it had become so many degrees of lost on what was really meant. I think this is something that's important for us to understand. We have to understand righteousness comes from God as a divine gift through Jesus. This is essential for us to avoid becoming a new class of Pharisee, for developing a new set of systems and laws based on our interpretation of the things that God says, especially when you consider the later teachings that Jesus is going to come forward with here just in the Sermon on the Mount. Think about all the ways that you can twist things like, be perfect, because your Father in Heaven is perfect. So figure it out. And if you don't, we'll exclude you and make you feel bad. Think about how you can twist things like, keep my commands. Just something so simple. Think about how people could twist, your righteousness must surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. That can get really, really ugly. So it's important for us to remember Where does righteousness come from? It's imparted by God through Jesus. And true loyalty to God is only possible through the supernatural transformation of our hearts. And that comes from God. I think of this as rather than attaining something, I'm going to go out and I'm going to attain this. I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to do so good and it's going to be mine because of my effort. Rather than attaining this... It's something that we surrender to. It's something that we submit ourselves to. It's a laying down of ourself and our own power and our own will. And that is harder for us. <laughs> it just is. It's such a denial of self. Because if I go out and I work for something and I attain it and I'm better than somebody else at it, at least there's something of myself in that. And I can claim it and I can say, look at what I did. That's not what it's about. It's about you submitting and laying all of that down and just receiving something. Um, And that is the upside-down kingdom. (laughs) It's not you going and sprinting and running faster. It's you submitting and saying, okay, your will, not mine. We'll do this your way. You're the one that's right, not me. Uh, Not a lot of glorification of self in that. That's all I've got for today. Next time I'm up here, Thanksgiving weekend, We will go over the rest of the Beatitudes and whatever else I feel like the Lord highlights for me from the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray. Lord, we truly are so grateful for the blessings of the kingdom. Thank you for our place in it, Lord. Thank you that you've made a home for us, that you made a way for us to come back. Thank you that there's a future fulfillment of that where we'll have eternal rest. And there'll be no more corruption or decay. We'll just be with you. We'll really look forward to that, Lord. I pray that you would increase the revelation for each of us of what is to come. Thank you for hope and peace that you've given us in the meantime, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.